0: Today we're reading from Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 33. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called, them, had, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. This is the word of the Lord.
1: all right good morning church Uh, greetings to you on this palm sunday i'm praying that as we remember uh, as we go into holy week uh, just as jesus rolled into rode into jerusalem on that sunday that he would also be present in your heart uh, as we go into this week and remember his love and sacrifice for us Uh, it's my privilege to invite um, constance fury to come and to preach and to bring god's word i met her mid last year something like that through the pandemic and she gave a workshop if you remember last year uh, online she, was, she hasn't actually physically been at our church before uh, but she's here physically with us uh, to preach from god's word and she joined a uh, journey canada the staff in t- 2021 and she has an ma in theological studies uh, from regent college uh, after that she went back to singapore to serve i believe uh, which is where she's also from uh, and then she came back because God called her into this ministry uh, here in Vancouver. A constant is passionate to see people standing upright in their identities as sons and daughters of God, aligned primarily with Christ and his kingdom culture above other uh, competing identities. And I've seen that firsthand uh, as I hear her heart for people and the kingdom and God's church. Uh, she's married to Jacques, I believe I pronounced his name properly, and has, and has a daughter, So, let's give a very uh, warm LLC welcome uh, to Constance Fury.
2: Hello? Can you hear me? Okay. Very good morning to you all. Thanks to Reverend Doug for inviting me, and um, yeah, really excited to be here for the first time. And um, uh, as, as was said, um, said during the introduction, I am from Singapore, and actually I'm also from a, a Chinese church growing up, and my Chinese church um, growing up, it was, it's like LLC, you know, we have Chinese, Mandarin, and English services as well. So this morning walking in, it really felt familiar, like coming home. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to um, thanks, Reverend Dap, for your uh, introduction. Uh, My husband is South African, and that's why my surname is Furi. Uh, He was actually the very second South African I've ever met in my life, the first being my mentor and boss now at Journey Canada. So I want to start with a story. So, several years ago, I had the chance to work a full year in a Christian ministry alongside T and his wife. I'll just call him T, okay? So, T and his wife were from Indonesia. We were working in English in this Christian ministry, and T and his wife did not feel very confident with their English. So, because we came from the same part of the world, Southeast Asia, I somehow felt like I was responsible to help him. and his wife in whatever way I could with their English. Yet often when T would ask me for help or he would refer to me on some work tasks, I would feel really irritated and impatient. So a few months in, God helped me to see that my impatience and my irritation originated because I actually looked down on T as an Indonesian man. I'm very sorry to say this, but uh, in Singapore, because we do well economically as a country, there is sometimes a sense that we are superior to people from neighbouring countries, like Malaysia and Indonesia. Unfortunately, I did adopt some of that attitude as well, and I thought that I was in some ways smarter or more competent than T because he is from Indonesia. Furthermore, since many Southeast Asian societies, including Indonesia, value men over women, Um, I assumed that T would be misogynistic and he would look down on women. And I also assumed that like some Southeast Asian men that I've met, T would devalue women and yet at the same time be quite dependent on women to serve their needs and do many things for them. So none of this is necessarily true of Indonesian men or Southeast Asian men or T, but I assumed this from the start. And if any of you are from Indonesia and Malaysia, my apologies. So, whenever T asked for help, because I felt superior to him, I felt that I needed to offer him help. I had to help him. And yet, when he asked for help, it just reinforced in me that he's quite useless, and he was just trying to use me, a woman, to do his work for him. So, when I realized, when God helped me to see that I thought these things about T, I was actually frankly horrified by the racism that I saw in my own heart. So our passage today reminded me of that year that I worked with T. The passage addressed the question which I was faced with when working with T, what do I do with people who are different from me? So let me pause on my story for now and let us turn to look at Acts 10. Now I understand that as a church community, Uh, You have been studying the book of Acts since the start of the year. And as you probably know quite well by now, Acts was written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so people often talk about Luke and Acts together as Luke-Acts, a two-volume work of historical writing. In Acts, as one Bible uh, commentary puts it, Luke is not presenting um, a loosely related collection of stories meant to review the character of certain key human beings. But Luke believes it is God um, and God's salvation plan that is the engine that drives and connects the various facets of his account in Acts. So what is this salvation plan of God? In Acts eight as Luke indicated as some of the last words that Jesus said before he was lifted to heaven, God's plan is that uh, Jesus' disciples will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in Acts 10, we meet the Gentile uh, Italian centurion, Cornelius, and we read of his coming to know Christ. Our passage here and through to Acts 11, we see um, a lot of movement. And we see a lot of movement that ultimately advances God's plan for God's people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and for the good news of Christ to be spread to the ends of the earth and to people of all kinds. So we see lots of vertical movement in Acts 10 and 11 when God communicates directly to Cornelius and Peter so we see, for example, you know, the angel descending to um, visit and talk to Cornelius. And we see um, in the vision that Peter got this descending sheet of um, animals. And also in the end of Acts, what we see is uh, the Holy Spirit descending on the Gentiles, uh, Cornelius and all the Gentiles that were listening to Peter's sermon in, uh, in Acts, at the end of Acts 10. So we see all these... Horizontal, uh, vertical movement. And we also see horizontal movement when we see human, uh, human characters moving between the different places. So um, Cornelius from Caesarea sending men to Joppa, to the, Sim- the house of Simon the Tanner, where Simon Peter was, and then Peter coming down from the roof to the men sent by Cornelius, and then later following them back to and to Cornelius' house. And we see that it is the vertical movements, God speaking to Cornelius and Peter, that is really crucial. And we know how important these are because the visions, Cornelius' vision is actually repeated three times in the short span of Acts 10 and 11. And Peter's vision is repeated twice in Acts 10 and 11. So these vertical movements are significant and they are important and they are the things that push and motivate the action on the human plan, plane, okay? the, the horizontal movement. And it advances the story in Acts 10 and God's plan. We can also see that for the action on the human uh, level to advance, the human characters had to choose to obey God in what God was telling them to do. For Simon Peter specifically, there was a potential roadblock to obedience. And the roadblock was the expected Jewish cultural response to the question which I mentioned earlier, what do I do with people who are different from me? And the expected Jewish cultural response at that point was, um, we are supposed to relate to people who are different from us, from a us versus them mindset. So, as theologian John Stott commented, it is actually difficult for us to grasp the impassable gulf which yawned in those days between the Jews on the one hand and the Gentiles on the other. Not that the Old Testament would countenance such a divide, it affirmed that God had a purpose for the Gentiles. By choosing and blessing the Jews, he intended to bless all the families of the earth. The tragedy was that Israel twisted this doctrine of election into one of favoritism, became filled with racial pride and hatred, despised the Gentiles as dogs, and developed traditions that kept them apart. No Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile, and all familiar intercourse with Gentiles was forbidden. This attitude of the Jews towards Gentiles was confirmed by Simon Peter himself in Acts 10.28 when he stated matter-of-factly that he would not normally associate or visit a Gentile because he's a Jew and that that was against their law. As one Bible commentary puts it, there isn't really any formal law that strictly forbade Jews from associating with Gentiles It is just that they would have to be prepared to pay the price for doing so. And the price was that they would become ritually unclean if they associated with a Gentile. So the Jewish notions about clean and unclean, these were directly addressed by God in that vision um, that God gave to Peter. So Peter saw heaven open and a sheet like a fine linen tablecloth was let down and it contained a mix of animals that were considered clean and others that were considered unclean according to the laws distinguishing clean and unclean animals given to the Israelites in Leviticus 11. So when God tells Peter to kill and eat these animals, Peter's response of saying, no, I can't do this, is in accordance to the Old Testament, to the Bible, to Leviticus 11, because God uh, did instruct his people there not to eat unclean animals. For I am the Lord your God. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. But in this vision in Acts 10, God is repeatedly telling Peter, do not call anything impure that I have made clean. So here, God is challenging Peter with a different idea about clean and unclean. And connected to this, God challenged Peter with a different way to relate to people who are different and considered unclean. As a side note, what God showed Peter here was, should not have been entirely new or surprising to Peter, since when Jesus was on earth, he did talk in, as we can see referenced in Mark 7 and Matthew 15, God, uh, Jesus did talk about how the food that goes into us does not make us unclean, but it is things like sexual immorality, deceit, and arrogance, things that come out of our hearts that makes us unclean. So, things um, what the vision showed, the, the vision that Peter saw, should not totally surprise him if he remembers what Jesus did when Jesus was alive on earth. So, in Acts 10, Simon Peter faced the question. What do I do with these Gentiles who are so different from us? And the Jewish mindset was, keep away from them. But the invitation from God was for Peter to move from this us versus them mentality to a perspective of no distinction between them and us. And this is a conclusion that Peter himself made in Acts 11 when he was talking He was back in Jerusalem, and he was reporting about what happened. He said, The Holy Spirit told me I was not to make any distinction between them, the Gentiles, and myself. And I am not supposed to make a distinction between them and us because God has cleansed everyone, both um, the clean, the Jews, and the unclean, the Gentiles. So because Peter obeyed this vision from God eventually, And the Jewish Christians that were with him, both him and Peter, they were then ushered into a deeper appreciation of the fact that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him, Acts 10.34. And this then led to the very public and dramatic expression of God's acceptance of all people and the advancement of God's plan to pour out the Holy Spirit when um, the, the Gentiles in Cornelius' home you know, received the Holy Spirit and the Jews, the Jewish Christians like Peter, realized that God pours out the Holy Spirit on both the Jews and the Gentiles. I am challenged, personally, by God's invitation for Peter to move from a us versus them mentality to a mindset that does not see distinctions between them and us. I think like Simon Peter's society, our society encourages um, a us versus them mentality. You know, we live in a very highly polarized society where society tells us who we should celebrate, who we should support, who we should embrace, as well as the people and the issues that we should deem bad and unacceptable people to be cancelled. Society encourages us to see them in a hostile light and to see them as people that we cannot really understand, people who are strange, people who lack common sense um, at best, or are evil at worst. Especially when we have been treated badly in the past by a group of them, society encourages us to feel that we have the right to take an antagonistic stance towards them to be on the lookout for any new for any new mistreatment from them and to loudly protest and protect ourselves from any such behavior yet the god perspective is to see those we deem other in terms uh, not in terms of how they are different from us or how we cannot be reconciled to them or how they are just mystifying but to focus instead on the basis of what God has done for all of us, whether us or them, we have all been cleansed by God. Or in the words of German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, One is a brother to another only through Jesus Christ. I am a brother to another person through what Jesus Christ did for me and to me. The other person has become a brother to me through what Jesus Christ did for him. What determines our brotherhood or sisterhood is what that man or woman is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done for both of us. Christian brotherhood, sisterhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. Let me repeat again uh, that one sentence which I really like. Um, Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. So Bonhoeffer, here he is talking about Christian community. But we can see how what he says applies to how we see people who may not yet know Christ as well. Those people as well, people who do not know Christ yet, whether they admit it or not, Christ has done something for them. And that is the basis um, on which we are invited to see people and relate to them. No distinction between them and us does not mean we pretend that they are not different from us. It doesn't mean we pretend, we deny differences. Simon Peter understood through this vision that the Gentiles do not have to become like Jews to be full members of the Christian community. Gentiles don't have to eat the same food as the Jews to be one in the same Christian community. Gentiles don't have to be circumcised to be one uh, um, with the Jews in the same Christian community. And this makes me reflect on my experience growing up in my Chinese church in Singapore. My congregation was largely Chinese, even the English congregation, which had one Indian who was the spouse of a Chinese member. Um, I wonder if that was why, growing up in church, I was actually very conscious of what I did during worship, uh, during worship time at church. I was very conscious of what you could do or not do, and nobody ever said, you can't do this or you can't do this. But there seemed to be some unspoken rules that you just couldn't get too emotional, during worship time. Like raising your hands was the most out there thing to do. It was like, in fact, it might cause a few raised eyebrows. But if you did something like kneeling on the ground or weeping loudly or dancing, um, which was things that I saw and experienced when I was serving as a missionary in Spain, you know, those things are definite no-nos, which would be very much noticed. And I, want, I have wondered if that is because as Chinese, we are not very expressive and we value emotional restraint and reserve. And while this is a good thing, I wonder if this, respect, uh, this aspect of Chineseness has seeped into my church because it was so predominantly Chinese and that we were not challenged by the presence of other people in that church community who might have worshipped God in different ways. When I was a student at Regent College, I also had the privilege of attending a church close to downtown Eastside in Vancouver, which had a really diverse congregation. It had a lot of homeless people, people in rehab from drug or alcoholic addiction, people with mental illness, but the church was home to them. While it was uncomfortable to have people so different from myself in the church community, I mean, there was such an aspect of unpredictability about what would happen each week. You know, you might have a fight break out outside or something, you know. And for me, because I was a single woman at that time, it felt pretty unsafe uh, going to the church community because it was a predominantly male congregation. But I was blessed in so many ways by being in community with people who were so different from me. I saw childlike faith in people who had experienced such difficulties in life that I never thought, faith would even be possible. I learned that one could be really honest with God about whatever mess one was struggling with, even in the church. I learned that mental disability does not prevent anyone from knowing Christ, nor does it keep people from hearing God or speaking God's truth to others. Now God's invitation to Peter And to all of us, I think, of no distinction between them and us can sound like a really nice idea, but a tall order. After all, there is comfort in being with people who are like ourselves. There might also have been a history of real hurts where we, or our family or friends, may have suffered from individuals or people groups unlike us as well. And so there is indeed a sense of safety, maybe. Maybe that's a real sense of safety when we stick with people of our own kind. Yet God cleansed all of us. Um, let me give you another way of thinking about what it means to relate to others purely on the basis of what God has done for us. This was something that um, I learned myself from this uh, short story that was written by a Japanese Catholic novelist, Uh, Endo Shusaku, which is the guy that wrote the the novel Silence, if you guys know the movie, Silence, about the persecution of the Japanese Christians in the 1600s. So in this story, which is entitled The Last Supper, um, uh, Endo talks about a very sick executive who confesses to a volunteer at the hospital that for 40 years, he had been carrying the guilt of having eaten the flesh of one of his fellow soldiers in the war. So he was in the war in Burma in World War II. This is a Japanese soldier, and he had been carrying that guilt for 40 years. I had been eating, I had eaten the flesh of my comrade. To everyone's surprise, the volunteer, the foreigner at the church, uh, the foreigner the, that was volunteering at the hospital, shared his story too. I too ate flesh of my friend, he shared earnestly in broken Japanese. The foreigner was a survivor of a plane that had crashed on top of the Andes mountain, and he and several other survivors lived because another passenger, a priest, had told them to eat him when he was about to die. The priest said, you don't have anything to eat, and you need to keep alive until the rescue comes, the people who rescue you come. When I read this, it made me think of what Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper in Luke 22, when he took bread, when Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And if this is not... um, And another verse in, uh, in John, where Jesus said earlier on in John 6, where Jesus spoke to his disciples and others, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them." Just like the volunteer in this story of Endo Saku, we too, have eaten the flesh of our friend. All of us, regardless of our differences, we were given life by him who died so we could live. We were connect, We are connected, all of us, by the one who died to nourish us so we would not starve to death. And that connection is way more meaningful and precious than any difference that can divide us. Let me end by returning to the story I mentioned at the start. My my year of working with tea. So for a while, I was just fascinated by how um, racist I was towards T, and how baseless my contempt was. And yet, I realized that however much I would try to tell myself that I shouldn't be contemptuous, I shouldn't feel superior to him, I could not change my heart attitude. Yet the blessing was that through that year, I had many opportunities to relate to T on an everyday life. You know, in everyday life. And as I chose to relate to T and to have meals with him and his wife, um, I got to know T as a unique individual. And that made it harder and harder for me to see him as just a type. But what ultimately changed my heart towards T was one evening when I had the chance to pray for him. And God gave me a glimpse of how God saw T as a son. And I had a glimpse of how much God loved he and how proud God was of him as a son. That shattered the feelings of superiority that I held towards him. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Can I just pray for us? Father, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that, God, you are ministering to your people, your beloved sons and daughters here at the Lord's Love. And you know each person individually. And you love their uniqueness. And they are known to you. You see them. And Lord, I ask that whatever that I've shared today, that is for each person individually, that you would let that be something that will be kept in the hearts of my brothers and sisters here. Thank you, Father, because you're good. and You love us dearly. Amen. Thank you.